I'm a child of God. Having my hand, powerful word of God. Change lives, heal broken hearts, and help me learn to forgive. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, whoop, I forgive you. (laughs) Not that you need forgiveness, but we want to express it. Continuing in our series, got a couple more messages. Forgiveness, the real F word. And uh, we're asking the question today, is forgiveness really forever? Last week we talked about how to forgive others. We talked about holding grudges and how that affects us much more than it does the person we're holding their grudge against. And uh, perhaps you decided last week, several of you did, uh, you indicated so on your uh, connection card. You put some initials down of somebody you were releasing and you were forgiving. And I appreciate you doing that. I prayed for you this week. Uh, uh, mainly yesterday I spent a lot of time in prayer uh, for you and for those uh, initials. I don't know who they are. It's not my business, but God does. And he knows from your heart what they are and who they are. Uh, the week before, I'd ask you to put down uh, if you were. Uh, needing some forgiveness. And you did that. Many of you did and prayed for you that God would help you uh, achieve that in your life. And so today we're going to talk about, is it really forever? Is it really forever? From a human standpoint, forgiveness is not eternal. We are bound by partial forgiveness. Does that make sense to you? We're bound by partial. The good news is, though, God's forgiveness is unlimited. And I'm grateful for that. Amen. And uh, it is complete. God's forgiveness is free. So we're going to look at how can God, how can we experience and how does God forgive us forever? Over the years, I've heard a number of people ask me, how can I know that I have eternal life? How can I be sure that I'm going to heaven when I die? How can I know that I'm saved? Is my salvation really secure? And we don't talk much about this in the Christian church, and we need to talk more about it. We need to really talk more about it. By the way, are you guys cold? I see you guys putting sweaters on. Jeff, would you turn at least turn the fans off? And um, we might, Rodney, if you guys could help me we'd pump, bump these up a little bit. Either that or leave them and we'll make you guys feel like what I felt like down in Orlando. No, I'm just teasing. Um, but you need to know, you and I need to know that one of the things that God wants us from us is that in Christ we can have and experience eternal forgiveness. But the key is in Christ. And and. The Bible talks a lot about that. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, he's dedicated a whole chapter to that very idea. And we find in verse 13, I've got it there in your outline as we start down your outline. It says, I write this to you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So would you circle the word know and then also circle the words eternal life and then draw a line between the two, connect the two of them. Because eternal life and knowing are two things that God wants us to understand. In the Greek, in the original language of the Greek that was 
written in the Bible translated in, there's several words for the idea of know or knowing. There's an actual word in the Greek that's kind of like knowing something trivial. And some of you are pretty good at it. We do trivial. If we were to do trivial pursuit, boy, you could just rattle that stuff off. <coughs> it doesn't really mean a whole lot, but boy, you've got the answers. Amen? And then you pick your category, whatever it is. You know, for our coaches, we always pick sports. We think they know more about sports than they do. But some of them may know what, you know, like Rodney's a history teacher. He may, he'll fool us by doing history, see. And we think, oh, we got him now. And then he starts rattling off these answers. Then we don't even think they're true. We have to go look them up just to make sure they're true, you see. But trivial, trivial, that's one word for no. Uh, other times, there's a word no that talks about short-term memory. And I find myself living there a lot lately. Is <clears throat> not remembering stuff on a short term. I called Cindy the other day and didn't even know what day it was. She asked me if I'd had a stroke. And I said, well, not yet. But I might anytime soon. But the word here in this context, in First John 5.13, is a word that means knowing within your heart. Knowing within your heart. It's something that you will never, ever forget. Because once you know something in your heart, you don't ever forget it. Like your name. You don't forget it. Like your address. Some of you can rattle off your bank account number. If you want to do that, I'll write that down for you just right quick. No. It's funny, the random things that we can remember like that. Um, Credit card numbers. It's just amazing. Social security numbers. Those are things that we remember, and and we hold them close to our heart because we need to remember those numbers. But this is an interesting word that's used here, because when we when we like the prodigal son we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when we come back home, God then gives us some tremendous gifts. He gives us the gift of forgiveness, the gift of eternal life, the gift of eternal security. And you might say, well, you know, I've never heard that preached in the Christian church. And like I said, it's not something we talk about very much. Being, being secure for eternity. We need to understand that we have that. We have that. We have that. But the reality is, in our everyday life, that we are insecure in our salvation. So often, we, and, the, and probably the reason we don't talk about it much is that we're afraid to talk about it because we're really afraid that we may not have it. <laughs> and if we don't have it, then what do we do? And and it's terrible to live that way, to not know if I have eternal life or do I have eternal life or how do I get it. And I mean, we've learned how to get it and we've responded what we thought we should do, but then we still have those doubts. I don't know if that's you, but I've been there. Because that insecurity can create undue stress, undue doubt and fear and indecision, worry and discomfort, because it's an important issue. Now, theologically... Theologically, you've heard it described as eternal security. And for some people, they get, they just kind of get really funny about that. I don't want, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. We need to talk about it. Uh, depending on your religious tradition as you grew up, you may have heard it called security of the saints or perseverance of the saints or even the old dreaded phrase, once saved, always saved. Well, I used to argue about that and argue about that and argue about that until I stopped and realized that, yeah. Yeah, if I'm saved, I'm saved. I am. Now, there's some things I need to do along the way that make that a reality, and that's what we're going to talk about. 
So let's go ahead and get started. Number one, and this is the main important point, number one, is that we need to seal my eternity with Christ. We've got to seal our eternity with Christ. <coughs> How do I know I'm eternally safe, eternally secure? It's when I begin by sealing my identity and my eternity with Christ. So what do I have to do? Well, you just got to accept Him. You've got to make Him your Lord and Savior. You've got to surrender yourself to Him. You've got to be saved. Amen? Pretty simple, pretty simple thing. You've just got to be saved. That's when, that's when baptism comes in. That's when confession comes in. That's when repentance comes in. That's when all those things, you, you realize that you were going one way and you need to change it so you're going to stop and go another way. And oftentimes people say, well, I don't have much of a testimony because I, you know, I wasn't a drunkard and I wasn't a biker and I didn't beat on women and I didn't do drugs or alcohol and you don't need any of that. You just need to remember and realize that you're lost without Christ and you found him. And once you found him, what a difference your life makes. Amen? And that's the key. That's the key. You've got to seal my eternity with Christ. Um, now, I'm not a wine drinker, but I understand that they have little um, corks. You know, once you get the cork out of the wine bottle, they have other things you can put back in the bottle top to preserve it. Keep the wine lasting longer. Now, I don't know anything about that because I, I just don't drink wine. I never have acquired a taste for it, and I'm grateful. Maybe some of you have, and that's fine. You know, as long as you don't drink the whole bottle, it should be just fine. In fact, the Bible says we ought to, uh, ought to take a little wine for our stomach's sake. Of course, back then they didn't have good water. I'm not sure we do either, but uh, it's a little better than what they had in the Middle East. But nevertheless, um, a little wine didn't. In fact, my doctor told me to drink some. He told me to drink red wine every night for my heart, and I just, I, and I just couldn't. I just can't get my, I can't get past that in my own spiritual block up here. But uh, so I just eat red grapes and hope that hope that works out. But God has a plan for our eternal forgiveness, and we're sealed in that. Once we're in Christ, that is sealed, signed, sealed, and delivered. Okay? But we can't seal ourselves. That's the important thing. You can't seal yourself. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't earn eternal forgiveness. There is nothing you and I can do humanly to gain entrance into heaven or gain eternal forgiveness. We have to receive that. In Jesus Christ. So the key to sealing your eternity is to place your life in Christ and to let Him have complete control of your life. And it's only in Christ that you and I can experience the security for eternity. Ephesians 1 is a great chapter in the Bible. <coughs> and it says this. In Christ, God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. In Christ, He chose us before the world was made so that we would be His holy people. God gave that, that grace to us freely in Christ, the one He loves. In Christ, we are set free by the blood of His death, and so we have forgiveness of sins. Now, I love that. I love that verse. And I want you to go ahead and circle every time you see the phrase, in Christ. And if I've counted it right, it should be four times. Four times it mentions that in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, we're blessed. In Christ, we were adopted. 
In Christ we were set free. In Christ we are eternally forgiven. And so the idea of placing your life in Christ is so critical to the, to the equation. You won't understand security. You won't understand uh, an eternal position until you seal it in Christ. And becoming a Christian simply means that you made a spiritual decision to take your life and place it in Christ. And once you're there, you're there. Amen? Can I get an amen? All right. Now, up on the screen, I've got a, a little picture for you. And it's a safe. It's not a fancy looking safe, but it's a safe. You can tell it's a safe. Now, it can be opened one of two ways. It can be opened by a security code or with a key. But what do we put in a safe? We put in important documents. Things that we want to keep safe from harm. If a fire comes through the house and burns the house down, safe is okay. So you'll have all your big ticket items in there and you want to lock them up and you want to keep them safe. Well, I contend that that should represent us and God. God is the safe. And when we come to Him, we get inside the safe, and once the door is shut of salvation, we're set. You'll be safe from anything. Anything that may come at you, you're safe from it. Is that not an awesome thought to, to have? You're always safe. In the safe. <laughs> because it's in Christ that can make the difference. And no matter what we do, no matter what we say, we will always be safe and secure in Christ. And that leads us to number two. Because number two helps me understand that I've got to, I've got to have a part in this too. Number two, I need to admit my sins regularly. So once I'm sealed in Christ, now, and we all realize we're human, so we stumble. We still make mistakes. But we've got to learn to admit my sins regularly. Now, it's one thing to be saved and then to act like the world. I'm not sure you were saved in the first place. You see, if you're not going to come to Christ with full obedience and at least attempt to live that way, then what good was the salvation action that you went through? What, what good were the words that you gave? It's like a husband telling a wife, I'll love you forever, and then sleeping with other women. No. You've, got to, you've come to Christ, you come to Christ. And he becomes the most important part of your life. So confession, you know, I mentioned confession earlier. Confession becomes a very clear part. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about confession today. Some people believe that's something you have to go and do with someone else when the essence is, based on Scripture, we just simply go to God. In First John chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, But if we confess our sins to Him, he can be depended upon to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. Not just one or two, but from everything. He'll do that. Because see, sin damages our fellowship with God. It doesn't break the relationship. It damages the fellowship. Is that, you see what I'm saying? It's a big difference. Because your fellowship is broken. Got to restore it. Now, let me give you a, a, an example that that maybe uh, is it, well, it's an imperfect example, but I think it's one that maybe will fit for us. Last August, Cindy and I celebrated 37 years of marriage. 
And I know many of you think that she was a saint for being able to put up with me and live with me that long. I, I understand that. But when we got married, we got married to a committed relationship. We stood before God, our family, our friends, and we exchanged rings and we exchanged vows. And we began the relationship. <coughs> now, you know as well as I do that at that point, that relationship was secure. <coughs> yeah, there was nothing going to harbor that, affect that relationship. But over the period of 37 years, things happened. I mean, I messed up. I messed up a lot. And Cindy would endure a lot. I would do some really stupid things, and she would just hang in there. But it did destroy, to some extent, the fellowship that we had within our relationship. Because there were times when we didn't want to talk to each other. Uh, we both believed that divorce was not an option, but Cindy still is holding out for murder as being okay. <clears throat> but um, <laughs> So the fellowship was hurt, but not the relationship. We stayed together. We hung together. In fact, one of the things that we decided is that whoever chooses to leave has to take the kids so that we were, we were bound to stay with each other. But to this very day, she is my best friend. She has seen me in my good times and my bad times. And I will always be grateful for that God sent her to my, to my life. Because I doubt there's, there's very many women in this world that could put up with and tolerate me. It's so interesting to watch all of our wives, my brothers, and when we're together and all of our wives, and they all have similar horror stories about how they have endured with the Phillips men. And I keep thinking, wow, these older guys are really bad. But uh, nevertheless, we've all had our times. And I think you understand where I'm going with that. But we, Cindy and I, still practice imperfect love. But I, I serve a God, I have a God in my life who gives me perfect love. And His perfect love casts out fear. And in Christ, that eternal relationship never changes. It's always there. I may hurt the fellowship through the sin that I may do, but my relationship with him is always intact. It's always strong. Because in Christ, there's no divorce. In Christ, there's no loss of salvation. In Christ, there's no eternal separation. I'm only secure eternally in Christ. It's never going to change. So if you have doubts in your mind, Push them away. There's only one person bringing the doubts, and that's the enemy. The enemy wants you to believe that you're not going to make it. The enemy wants you to believe that your relationship is not going to last. The enemy wants you to believe that you're lost and you're going to hell. But what does it mean to confess? Well, there's a couple things. I put them there in your, in your outline. First, we are agreeing with God that it's bad. That's the first thing that it means to confess. Is we agree with God that it's bad. Because when we sin, it's bad. Amen? It is. It's bad. We shouldn't do that. I don't think anybody that's a believer in Christ gets up every, every morning and goes, you know what, I'm going to commit these five sins today before noon. I just don't think we do that. But we do get up and the enemy says, hey, you're having a rough day, aren't you? Guess what? I'm going to have somebody cut you off in traffic. And you might say, he doesn't do that. Oh, yes, he does. Or you're going to have somebody speak harshly to you. Or even better than that, you're going to spill coffee in your lap and you're wearing a light-colored clothing. Right? And where do you spill it? Right in the front area. Oh boy, that's just, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So you know, we can agree that sin causes bad things. Secondly, 
the thing that we need to understand about confession is that we are taking responsibility for our actions. We live in a time when people don't want to take responsibility for any of the actions they do. It's always somebody else's fault. If you're in a wreck, it's going to be your fault first, even though they hit you. They can rear-end you, and somehow it's going to be your fault. You, you stop too soon. Well, everybody I've ever seen, any insurance company I've ever dealt with, if you hit somebody from behind, it's your fault because you weren't paying attention. There's some powerful videos out there now about texting and driving. The one that really caught my heart a few weeks ago I looked at was this. It shows two cars coming at each other, and they stop. And the mom gets out of the one car and walks up to the teenager who gets out of her car. And the mom says, why is it so important that you answer that text? And, and the girl says, oh, but I haven't heard from them all day long. I've got to, I've got to respond. And then they go back into their cars and have a head-on collision. That's powerful. But see, the, the mom at least wanted to ask, why, why is that so important to you? Because I haven't talked to him all day. Really. Really. So see, our actions, our sins, our passing the buck can really hurt the fellowship and damage the fellowship with God. But even in those times, the relationship is still strong. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. Amen. I'm so excited about that. It's part of the growing process to learn how to confess our sins. Uh, it's part of us becoming dependent upon God in that relationship. Whenever a husband and wife have a spat and they choose not to walk away but to work through it, is that not a demonstration of God with us every day? And there's some pretty bad things that, I mean, especially if one of them has an affair. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's a breach. That's a huge breach. But if they can stay together and work through that together and still be a very loving and, and growing couple, that's not a, if that's not a, more of a testimony of God, I don't know what is. Now, I've always believed that Bryant had a strong faith in God, but I can assure you that this experience in his life has drawn him closer to God. I know it has. I asked him, a few weeks ago, how he was doing. He said, well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm doing good. What did I expect him to say? No, I'm, you know, I'm just not doing good at all. I'm just pretty lousy. Oh, because see, his faith is increasing day by day, by week by week. We've merged the power of medicine, the power of prayer in his life, in Ross's life, in Sherry's life, you see, in Jim's life. We're, we still pray and see what God does. Amen. James chapter 4, great verse, verses 6 through 10. It says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Come near to God and He will come near to you. And that's an amazing promise. If we'll submit to Him, He'll come and, and we draw near, He comes to us. Then He says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and weep. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will do what? Lift you up. Lift you up. Now, I read some more verses. I didn't, I didn't put all of them up on the board. But it says that God will lift you up. Oh, I like that. I like that if I'm down, somebody's going to come and hold their hand, reach down with their hand to help pull me up off the ground. I like that. I like that. Going through the airport, you, you see a lot of different 
pieces of humanity. Amen? <laughs> some good, some not so good, some struggling, some in a hurry to get somewhere. If they could just get to the front of the line, they can get on the same plane that I'm getting on when I'm four back. You know, But here we're in a hurry. I love the way Southwest Airlines does it. If you want to upgrade your position, give us 40 more dollars and we'll move you up 15 people. Great. So you get on there and get a seat. Somebody's going to come crowd you anyway because they're packing them out. That still leaves at the same time. It does. And they serve the same drinks they do in route. <clears throat> it's kind of interesting how we are. But I've watched some of the older people and, and those are a little more, much more feeble than me. If they're already like that. But, boy, they really struggle just to get from point A to point B. And I still can at least get from point A to point B. So I need to rejoice. Thank God for that. And I think they're making the seats on planes smaller, don't you? I mean, I've lost, I've lost quite a bit of weight, but, and I can still get the buckle around me without the extended buckle. So I'm excited about that. But boy, when it's on, it's on. <laughs> and they can, they can have a wreck. I'll still be locked into that seat. I guarantee it. <laughs> but it's awesome. But it's awesome. I don't even know where I was going with that, so it doesn't really matter. I've got this head cold and I can't think straight most times. But anyway. But confession. Confession is so important. To keep us in restoration of the fellowship that may have been severed because of sin. That's what confession will do. And I want to encourage you to, to draw near to God. And He'll draw near to us, which leads us to point number three. Faithfully obey Him as our Heavenly Father. If we will faithfully obey Him, then good things will come. So we're eternally secure if we are in Christ. Number one. That's it. You got nothing, you got nothing else to hang on to but that one. Now to keep me there, to keep me in that position, to keep me in that relationship, I need to confess and I need to faithfully obey God. And I think this is where most people fall short. Because obedience is one of those defining characteristics of a person who's in Christ. Because we have a tendency to disobey. What God is looking for is a tendency, a trait, a characteristic that says, I'm going to first at least think about obeying God. Because the battle's going to rage. Battle's going to rage. At this hotel I stay at, at our advanced coaching network, every morning it's a buffet. That's all they have to offer you. And I just go, oh, wow, a buffet. Can't they just let me buy off, you know, a la carte or something? No, it's got a buffet. And the waffle machine, I haven't had any. I've just watched the little kids make them. It's in the form and shape of Mickey Mouse's head with his ears. That's the neatest looking waffle I've ever seen. And, and just got the big old dips in the waffle so you could fill it up with, I mean, I've watched these kids fill up their little things with syrup and it looked really good. And I've been tempted, but I just go over and have an omelet instead. You see, every day life's full of choices. Every day. And we have to decide 
And we need to think at least about obedience before we get going. So when we get up in the morning, say, Lord, help me today to keep my feet straight, my hands clean, my heart pure, my eyes focused. Boy, that's a great prayer to start with. And God's going to help you. Now the enemy's going to come try to derail you, but you've already set the pace. So start working it. And you'll be amazed at what God can do. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, See how much our Heavenly Father loves us, for He allows us to be called His children, and we really are. We really are His children. And to me, that brings great freedom. That means great grace. That means God loves me more than He loves anything else. Isn't that awesome? Remember the prodigal son story, how, how he, he squandered everything and he came back home. Instead of dad lecturing him, dad throws him a party. Well, I'm here to tell you by way of confession that God has thrown party after party after party after party for me. Because when I've strayed, I've come back, he's, he's celebrated. I've strayed and I've come back, he's celebrated again. And then after the celebration, I stray again and I come back and he celebrates again. That's the God I love. That's the God that loves me. That's the God that loves you. Amen? He celebrates every time we come back. Because He can't wait to come back. The relationship is never severed. The fellowship is hurt, but never the relationship. So we're secure in Christ. And we need to relax about that. And let God have the glory in our life about it. I love this verse here in Colossians 3 that talks about obedience. But before I read that, I want you to, I want you to think about two types of dads. Maybe you grew up with a dad like one of these. Maybe you were coached by a coach like one of these who would represent a dad. And sometimes dads are coaches in little league teams and they act like this. But one of the coaches, one of the dads, he's like, he's just, he's just a mean, mean person. I mean, he takes notes of all the mistakes you make. You could be seven years old. And he comes off, you come off the field and he's got a list. You didn't block right. You didn't hold right. You didn't run right. You didn't do anything right. And he just, just beats that kid up to death. Emotionally and physically, not physically, but verbally. And then you've got another dad, another coach who you come off the field, same kid, and he's going to look at that kid and go, man, you were really playing hard out there today, weren't you? Man, I'm so proud of you. You just keep it up. Keep it up. And pats him on the back. It says, or pop, pops him on the rear end and says, man, you just stay in there. Don't you quit. Don't give up. Just keep at it. Now, which dad are you going to respond to? That's real easy. I'm going to hang around that one that builds me up. Not the guy that beats me up emotionally and verbally. Isn't that like our Heavenly Father? Isn't that like our Heavenly Father? Now, we may have grown up with some dads in life that beat us up. Abused us. But now we've got a Heavenly Father that loves us. Loves us far beyond what we could ever hope or ask. In fact, in our Ephesians study this morning, Sunday school, it was, He loves us more exceedingly abundantly than we could ever hope or ask. Wow. That's amazing. But with that thought in mind, let's look at Colossians 3. It says, Since you have been raised to new life in Christ, Let heaven fill your thoughts. 
So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of life. Get rid of anger, rage, <clears throat> malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Wow. Let's get rid of it. Paul is encouraging us to get rid of those things. Live in obedience. And when you're in obedience, the relationship stays strong. Stay strong. You see, God offers us things that no one else can offer us. He offers us freedom from guilt, freedom from sin, freedom from death. He offers us heaven over hell. Pretty good choice. That's that's an easy one there, isn't it? Amen. But sometimes we have to be disciplined. And in the discipline... It's showing that God loves us in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, my child, don't forget, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. Remember that God is treating you as his own children. <clears throat> if God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. So see, some discipline is good because it keeps us on the straight and narrow. Boy, there's a big deal in, in the culture today about spanking kids. Now, let's just, by show of hands, how many of you were spanked as a kid when you were growing up? See? Hey, we turned out okay, didn't we? But there's a difference between spanking and beating. And it seems like a lot of the beating is going on today. I stopped spanking our kids. Corey was the main reason I stopped spanking our kids. He was learning how to be a salesman early in life. And poor old Jeff, he had all the whip marks that he could handle. And by the way, his birthday was yesterday. He's 32 years old. Cindy and I are looking at each other and going, how did that happen? And I said, oh. She remembers. She started recalling. You remember where I was this time 32 years ago? I said, yep. Wondering if he was ever going to show up. Yeah, because we'd been there since 6 that morning. Uh, <clears throat> and he didn't come till 11.58 that night. Hard-headed, hard-headed. But my last time I spanked him was when I had Corey in the laundry room. I had him bent over the holding the washer and dryer. And I always did the lecture thing. Okay, tell me why we're here. I did that to calm me down, really. But I said, tell me why we're here. Tell me how we can avoid coming here. Finally, about halfway through the dialogue, he says, Dad, just beat me. I'm tired of listening to this. And I got to laughing so hard I couldn't do anything. So, You know, sometimes we just got to stop and think about things. But God, He wants us to come to Him in love. And if we've made a mistake, that First John 5 passage, I mean, I mean the First John uh, 1 passage in verse 9 is so powerful. If we'll confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's all, it's all He's got to do. Parents, if your children mess up, you want them to come tell you the truth, don't you? If they'll just tell you the truth, they already feel guilty. They're already beat up about it. So when they come tell you the truth, it does something in your heart that says, even in the midst of, they took responsibility. That's what God's looking for. He wants to take responsibility for our sin. And when we do that, He's ready to respond in such a wonderful way. So if the discipline comes, don't let it, don't let it beat you up. Because of what Romans 6.14 teaches us. It says, sin will not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Circle that word master. 
You see, you can enjoy the security of eternity even when you mess up. You just confess it. When you mess up, you get up and you say, God, I blew it, but I'm ready to turn it around. I want to begin the walk of obedience again this morning, again today. But in that verse, Romans 6, 14, there's three things I want you to take away. They're not in your, your outline, but you may have to write them down. First one is, when you sin, you don't lose your place in God's family. When you sin, you don't lose your place in God's family. You're sealed. You're under grace. Secondly, the, this verse says that when you're God's child, you can break the cycle of sin. You can break it. You can say no to sin. You can. And then thirdly, the verse says that God is a God of second chances. But you know what I've discovered? He's not a God only of second chances. He's of thirds, of fourths, of fifteenths. He's a God of so many chances. He just wants you to come back. Amen? He loves us so much. Willing to send Jesus to die on the cross for us. I would, I would be safe in saying everyone in this room knows Jesus is their personal Savior. And you no doubt have struggled with this idea. You know, because when we sin, we hurt the fellowship with God. If we never come back, the hurt continues. But just like the father in the prodigal son story, he stands on the porch looking. And when he sees us in the distance, he runs to embrace us. That's the God that I love. That's the God who loves me. And that's the God who loves you. And so when we think of forgiveness, the real F word, we need to be ready to celebrate with the Lord. Which then brings us down to our verses that we read this morning. <coughs> our memory verses that I want you to spend some time on. Romans eight thirty seven through 39 In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, demons, the things present, the future, powers, height, depth, Anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So on the back of your connection card, now I want you to look at that. On the back of your connection card, I've asked you to take one of two, one of two things, one of two steps. You know, you may be in a relationship with God, but you've messed it up. That's that's point number three. Would you just put a check there? And all that's going to do is during my prayer time this week, I'll be able to pray specifically for you in relation to what you're struggling with with God in that. But the one just above it is probably one of the most important, but again, may not apply to very many people here this morning. And that is maybe for the very first time you're ready to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior. I don't know if that applies to you. I don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. But if it does, let me know that too because I'll, I'll do some follow-up with you. But probably most of you fall on that number three and maybe you're ready to recommit yourself. Refocus yourself. That's what that's for. And so I want you to consider putting that down and then uh, letting me know that. 
Because I believe that Romans 8, 37-39 truly tells us and shows us the depth of the relationship that God wants with us. Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, I thank you that in Christ I'm safe and secure for eternity. God, I want to thank you for forgiving me completely, freely, and eternally. Help me to confess my sins daily so that I can maintain a clear relationship with you. I want to live obediently as your child. So God, today, God, today, I'm either committing my life to you or I'm recommitting my life to you. And God, we don't have to make a big flow and flowery presentation. We just simply have to have our heart open to you. And so God, I'm praying all of this. And we pray it all together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn of invitation, if God's tugging on your heart to respond in some way, would you this morning as we stand and sing together without Him?